0: Your coat and get your hat. And good afternoon. Yeah, grab your coat and get your hat. Hi, Dan. What's happening, Buzz? How's your Wednesday?
1: Uh, happy Wednesday to you. I am uh, calling. You. I am Skyping in from, from beautiful Ashfield. And finally, I see that there are more leaves on the ground than there are on the trees. So it is winter is a brewing, but it's a balmy day here. How about there in Northampton?
0: Uh, it's wet, Buzz. It's very wet, but I like it. We needed some rain, and we're getting it, so I'm not complaining. You <laughs> it it's also really well, warm. I, am. <laughs> I can add that. It's really yeah. warm. I like it. I know. You're
1: Brazilian. <laughs> you like it. <laughs> so I'm very grateful today. Let me just lay out this next segment. Uh, a little bit, Um, the Northampton School Committee has been dealing with uh, COVID protocols, um, as well every school committee should, and they created an ad hoc COVID-19 advisory committee some time ago. That advisory committee is, um, there is a controversy that's been uh, brewing. Uh, That uh, was evident last week when on the bill newman show in the morning um josh silver um came on and he talked about how he disagrees with some members of the ad hoc committee of the school committee about what pro covid protocols uh, should happen josh was advocating for uh compliance with um guidance that's coming from uh, DESE, the uh, Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, um, and the state public health officials. And um, there are some members of the board uh, and others who, a couple, who he said felt differently and, and he disagreed strongly. Um, Bill uh, got a phone call from an ad hoc subcommittee member, uh, Michael Stein and Joe Pater, a father who has children in the school, as does Michael Stein. And um, they uh, wanted to be on Bill's show. Well, Bill had, I had a guest host, not a got to guest host for Bill yesterday when Michael Stein and Joe Pater were on and they articulated their position after which Josh Silver contacted me and see, said he would like to respond. I invited um, Michael Stein side and Josh Silver side on for today for various reasons and legitimate reasons, I think. Um, Michael Stein declined to come uh, on the show. Josh Silver is under the weather, he's, he's got a bad cold. And fortunately, however, we have a very knowledgeable um, a parent uh, of children in the Northampton schools, Adrian Staub, who's been involved in school opening and masking debates since the fall of 2020, and he's a member of Mask Choice Pioneer Valley. He's also a professor at the University of Massachusetts, who studies reading and language processing and teaches statistics. And he's with us on his way to the airport in a in a
2: strong signaled position there, Adrian. Hello. Hello, Buzz. Thank you very much for having me on. I hope the signal holds up. You sound
1: great right now. And just as an aside, boy, would I like to talk to you about John Fetterman uh, and that debate and cognitive versus reading and language processing. But we'll hold that for another time uh, because we're going to talk masks right now. So can, can you lay out from your perspective what the issue is and where you land
2: on it? Right, so I'm um, just to pick up from uh, what you were saying. So, so the the ad hoc committee that was um, convened to provide guidance uh, to the school committee in Northampton on COVID policy voted to uh, voted that the school committee should, in fact, adopt a very simple policy of following DESE's guidance, the state uh, Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, um, and you know that uh that decision that vote to follow desi you know arguably was a very sort of straightforward and maybe a no-brainer in the sense that you know that's what the the vast majority of school districts around the state are doing um and you know of course desi has itself incorporated the the guidance of many public health experts and many educational experts but it has been tied up in this continued wrangling in the school committee and now the, this, this rule subcommittee is, is considering the issue. So, uh, I'm very much in favor of uh, adopting the current Desi guidance, which would, um, uh, maintain, uh, which would not impose mandatory masking on students in our schools, um, under current conditions. Why are you in favor of that? So, um, you know, I think that, that, one of the things that we have seen uh become increasingly clear um uh this was foreseeable to many um but has become increasingly clear from the data is the the enormous cost to our kids of various ways in which their education has been disrupted over the last now two and a half years so starting with school closings but also including masking um you know the tremendous learning loss the uh, interruption to social and emotional development. Um, the mainstream press is now fully acknowledging the costs of these policies. I mean, and they often frame it as you know effects of COVID, but in fact, effects in of the p- effects of the pandemic. But I mean, pro- it's really more properly understood as effects of, of our uh, policies in relation to the pandemic. Um, uh, you know, masking of kids, especially younger kids, who have um, who are, who are learning, uh, learning to read, kids who have any kind of speech delay, uh, social, emotional delays. Um, I mean, ma- masking for an extended period can be really catastrophic. So the costs are real. And at this point with COVID in a highly vaccinated population um, with a lot of immunity, um, the, 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 the effects of COVID are not what they were in, in 2020, certainly at the beginning of, of this pandemic in 2020. Um, you know, we know that for a vaccinated individual and most groups, um, COVID is a cold or a flu. Um, and this is not this is borne out by the data from Massachusetts and from everywhere else. So I think, you know, we, we both have in a sense of the, the costs of of masking for kids, um, which are indisputable at this point, And we have um, we are not in in the kind of situation we were in. Uh, when we initially imposed mask policies.
1: Do you, Adrian Stubb, feel that uh, last week' report, I think it was last week, yes it was, last week reported on what's euphemistically called the Nation's Report Card. It was the assessment from the National Assessment of Educational Progress, um, called NAEP, um, that frightening scores, that mathematics uh, scores of fourth graders and eighth graders nationally declined. The greatest decline in the history of uh, doing this report card Um, was a 25 percent decline in math uh, prowess since 2019, and um, on the reading, a sharp decline in reading as well. Do you attribute that? to uh, the response to the pandemic that we're talking about?
2: I mean, I do, um, you know, and I think some of the best evidence we have for that is that in countries uh, like the Scandinavian countries that did not close schools for any extended period of time or did not ask children for any extended period of time, I mean, they've done their own assessments of learning loss and have not found these kinds of, of impacts on kids. So, I mean, we have, in a sense, a natural experiment, and we, we can, I think, fairly confidently attribute, you know, what we've seen to what we've done. Um, and I must say, as I, sa- as I said a few minutes ago, I mean, I think a lot of this was really foreseeable. Um, you know, if we step back a little bit and think about all the ways in which seeing other people's faces is critical for child development, um, uh, let alone for, or the, the the concrete things that kids are supposed to be learning in school, um, you know, this is all really very tragically foreseeable.
1: Adrian, what would it take for you to say, whoop, we should go back to a mandatory mask policy? What kind of numbers would we have to see? What kind of uh, uh, change in DESE policies or um, CDC policies would it take for you to agree that mandatory masking has become
2: once again... So that's to talk a good about? Question. I, I think I think that's a really good question. Um, it's a fair question to ask somebody with my position. Um, you know, one of the things we've seen is a gradual change in the public health community's assessment of what forms of masking are actually effective. right? So initially we were told to wear cloth masks um, and then surgical masks and now we're told that really Um, to prevent, to have a significant effect on transmission, we need to be wearing, you know, fitted N95s. And, you know, in a school environment, um, we need to be wearing fitted N95s and we really need to not take them off. Um, You know, and whether that could ever happen in a school environment is really, you know, is really questionable. So whether a a mask mandate could actually be effective given the the realities of the school environment in which kids are, you know, Running around, they're eating, they're engaging in a whole lot of different activities. I think that's I think that's hard to say. I do think I will say this: I think that the kids should be the last ones to be masked. So, so the idea that we would mask kids in school and not have a mandatory not have mandatory masking for adult gatherings um, or in businesses, for example, seems to me to be uh, uh, rather upside down. And and that's the approach that Europeans have taken, where they have basically. Um, they have basically, even when they've had mask mandates for adults, uh, in many European countries, they have not had kids, especially the youngest kids, uh, masked in school.
1: I'd like to just circle back a little bit because um, I'm fascinated by uh, your discipline and your prowess in your discipline. Uh, as, uh, you study psycholinguistics, you're in the Department of Psycholinguistics, and you study reading. And language processing and you teach to that. Um, does do you think your position comes in part from your discipline? Um, I just wanna I wanna I, amend that by just saying Joe Pater, who feels differently than you, he
2: teaches linguistics and is a professor yes, of linguistics yes, at the university right. as so well. We're in we're in we're actually in different departments. My primary department is psychological and brain sciences, and Joe's is linguistics. Um but we know each other well. Uh, and I respect Joe as a scientist. Um, we have very different views about these matters. It's true. Um, you know, I, I, um, I don't know if my position, my view does uh, come specifically from my disciplinary expertise. I do think that my view is informed by my, my willingness to engage deeply with the data and, um, you know from early in the pandemic um, I was trying to um you know i teach statistics to undergrads i teach uh, hundreds of undergrads uh, introductory statistics every year and so you know um when 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 people in 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 the public realm are making claims about data and and causal claims um about one thing causing another um you know it's natural for me and and for many other scientists to uh Uh, to to have a look at those data ourselves and the data, um, you know, comparing one state to another, comparing one country to another um, has been widely available from the beginning. And then we've seen, you know, uh, uh, more and more carefully designed studies that have done things like investigated the effectiveness of school mask mandates specifically. Um, You know, we don't have any randomized controlled trials, of school mask mandates, uh, but we do have, you know, studies that have done the next best thing, like a study in Spain that compared a, a, a many thousand um, unmasked five-year-olds to masked six-year-olds, which was what the Spanish regulations required um, for a while, and you know, to look for any effect of, of that mandatory masking and finding none, um, and other such other such studies. So. It's more my facility with data and my interest in examining the data than it is, I think, my, my specific disciplinary knowledge that got me that got me to this point.
1: In the minute that we have left, do you know whether or not the DESE, the Department of uh, of um, Elementary and Secondary Education Guidance, do they have doctors? Do they have physicians and scientists uh, assisting with that, or are those just educators?
2: Creating those guidelines. Well, so my understanding is that the Desi guidelines were actually issued in conjunction with the the Massachusetts uh, Public Health Authorities. So they are joint guidelines, effectively, that come out of both our educational bureaucracy and our public health bureaucracy. Um, and I mean, in in a way, that's what distinguishes them from the CDC's guidelines at the national level, which are are not. Um, are not, I think it's very important that, you know, we have involved in this dialogue educators who are seeing some of the costs of our policies, right? Um, if we're focusing only on doing everything we can to stamp out, uh, infection, but not thinking about the educational costs of our policies, we're really missing something.
1: Well, I very much appreciate you sharing your perspective with us today. You articulated very clearly and well. I'm. Uh, it's a shame we don't have someone, because uh, I know they feel very passionately uh, from the other side to articulate theirs. But uh, I hope these are our children we're talking about. It's our future we're talking about. And um, I'm really glad that uh, people such as you, Adrian and are giving such thoughtful, um, well, such deep thought uh, to what's in their best interest. So thank you so much for joining us drive safely to the airport today
2: <laughs> thanks so much for having me buzz i really appreciate it okay
1: uh, we're going to take a break when we come back dan and i are going to chat a little bit about polling um during this electoral season how important is it and uh then we're going to uh, be joined by nan parati and we're going to talk about an interesting thing be right back after these messages
3: This is the Afternoon Fuzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WMV. Well. I've not got long to go, I can tell, I've not got long to go, I can tell.
5: Life moves fast, and kids move at the speed of life. Well, Franklin First is here to help you and your kids stay in control with Franklin First Federal Credit Union's Teen Checking Program. Your teen can manage their money and stay on the go while you enjoy peace of mind. Conditions apply, so see your Franklin First professional for details and requirements. Or start at franklinfirst.org. Franklin First Federal Credit Union, member NCUA.
0: I am Marco, and I have always been full of life, full of energy, and always on the go. At the age of 21, I was diagnosed with kidney disease. My life was saved by an organ donor. Receiving a life-saving organ put my life back into play, and I was able to move forward and make my dreams come true. Anyone can sign up to be an organ donor, whether you're 16 or 96. Be a hero. Be an organ donor. Register today.
5: Register at registerme.org, sponsored by New England Donor Services.
3: Eat more kale, says the bumper sticker. Why assume I'm not eating enough kale? If you eat at Paul and Elizabeth's, there's always kale. There's the Caesar salad with kale, with romaine, or both. There's the vegetarian platter, vegetables sauteed to perfection, including kale. Or just order a side of sauteed greens. Some people treat kale like one of those good-for-you-but-no-one-really-likes-it things. Maybe those people have never been to Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant. Inside Thorns in Northampton.
6: Remember landline telephones? Only a third of the country still has one, and it's little wonder. A study by EMP, a communications data firm, found 87% of calls made to a landline number are unwanted, meaning they come from a scammer or telemarketer trying to sell something. Rising mortgage rates continue to depress the housing market. The National Association of Realtors reports sales of existing homes fell 1.5% from August to September, With fewer sales, the median home price fell again to $384,800. GM is getting deeper into the electric truck game to compete with Ford. GMC has introduced the first-ever Sierra EV. The 2024 Sierra EV Denali edition will reportedly provide 400 miles of range on a full charge. It'll be GMC's third all-electric pickup. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at consumeraffairs.com.
3: This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP.
1: And we are back, and thank you for joining us again. So we are going to go from the Northampton School Committee's um, uh, question about what's the best way to protect our children in terms of masking and COVID protocols uh, as they've returned to school to sort of a big, broad, important question. We all know that um, in 2016 we were told that um, that uh, Trump had no path to 270 and we all learned, I dare say the hard way, that that wasn't true. In 2020, once again, the presidential elections left many people scratching their heads about whether polling still works. Um, there are a couple of articles that I've read by the, um, Pew um, People, the Pew uh, Trust Research Center, that's what it's called, um, about it. But I I was just talking to Dan before we went on the air earlier this afternoon, and Dan, you were telling me that uh, what you've been reading is you you see polls, gaps closing in in some battleground states, and I, I talk about Pennsylvania, and of course there was an important debate last night. For the senate many say that it might result in uh, that the winner might turn the senate into a majority for one side or the other whichever the winner is on michigan wisconsin those two sort of companion states my my little when my daughter was little she called them wish
2: and <laughs> <in>
1: arizona <laughs> um so what have you heard and you said that you're concerned about it
0: Yes. So here, here here's my concern about it, that, um, well, back in late August, early September, it looked like the Democrats were, uh, on the front foot. They looked like overall across all of those battleground states, they were doing well. They were in a lead and statistically significant lead in a lot of those states. What has happened since buzz is Maybe some of the excitement has come off. The Republican candidates are moving up, and there are very narrow polls right now saying it's neck and neck uh, between um, any of the races. Really, if you look at it, if you look at Georgia's Senate race, if you look at the one you mentioned in Pennsylvania, there is a gap narrowing. This normally happens, but we are two weeks away, and if you had to say somebody had the momentum right now, I have to give it to the Republicans. Uh, it looks to me like they have at least the energy that uh, that the, the wind is behind their their backs uh, for a lot of the candidates. So, again, people care about the House and Senate. I have said here publicly that I think the Republicans definitely have the House, and they have a very good chance at winning the Senate. I think it's still going to be a 50-50, but we don't know. Um, maybe 51-49 for either Democrats or Republicans. That's what I'm thinking, um, but that's just giving the momentum seems to be behind the Republicans, and we're only two weeks away.
1: Yeah, and I have heard some of that, depressingly, uh, you know, that the double digits uh, leads like in the New York gubernatorial race have uh, closed to, you know, mere few points. Um, that Georgia's senatorial race has closed within three or four points, depending on which poll you look at. Um, and the the, the problem the problem that I have is, the are the polls reliable anyway? Because hmm. we all remember what happened in 2016. There was no path, again, no pathway for Trump to 270. And what it didn't take into account is that the people who weren't responsive to polls, the president just said the other day that, well, it depends on, he's not relying too much on the polls because it depends on who's willing to answer when the phone rings. And the benchmarks that are used, you know, there's different benchmarks for those who don't know, different polls, you know, are you a U.S. citizen? Do you have health insurance? Have you lived at the same address for more than a year? Um, do you only speak English at home? Uh, you know, th- these benchmarks, these questions that they ask respondents have you received social security within the last year or do you live in a single adult household people have to be willing to go through that survey. kind of do you smoke oh who are you going to vote for president you know (laughs) right um and and sometimes people aren't willing to go through those questions that process which skewers it now many people have said that the reason why it's often the surprise is that Republicans do better than we thought is because Republicans are less willing to go through that than Democrats who are willing to submit themselves to a more academic kind of survey. They're more willing to be patient and put themselves through that for whatever reason. It sounds holier than now for me to say it because obviously I lean Democrat, but um, uh, there has to be some explanation. And aside from that, there are questions about uh, whether unemployed, young people um you know immigrants uh, who are citizens and voters all those subgroups uh are they willing to participate in a poll and um you know and finally there's, this there's, we just had a statistician on the air in the first segment but sometimes um there are random surveys you just ask whoever's in the room right right and mm-hmm. and sometimes there are targeted surveys that are representational of, you know, if we have, um, if 2.5% of the population are Jewish, we'd like to have our survey have 2.5% Jewish people and the other demographic um, breakdown that way. So there's a real question about whether the polls that we're looking at are reliable, but you are right. I keep hearing these narrowing in some really key races and it, it does chill me. Um, how do you explain it? Why do you think the Republicans seem to be catching up?
0: Well, I think it's part of it is this was going to happen regardless. Uh, as you get closer to the election, this is this always tends to happen. But I also think the economy and inflation, that conversation, is is gathering steam. I think the uh, controversies that that maybe happened after the the Supreme Court decisions and the anger and the activism begins to sort of. I don't want to say withered down. It just sounds to slow down as more people are focused after Labor Day. They're focused more on, okay, what's going to happen in this election? Let me make decisions. If people are making these decisions, and I think people feel the unease of the economy, I think that that's playing a role, a bigger role, than I think we can give we think credit for. If I had to guess. Uh,
1: it's, it's a really interesting topic. Well, we're, we're going to have to keep coming back to it. We are, you and... Uh, uh, law Professor Emeritus Bruce Miller and I are going to spend November 7th, the day before the election, talking politics, um, and I'm looking forward to that conversation. But um, now we're going to turn to an interest, interesting thing right after the break with Nan Parati. And um, hey, you yeah, have until Saturday to register to vote if you haven't registered already. It is time. You can be early voting right now. November 8th is around the corner. Please vote and encourage every one who is eligible to vote, that you know to please vote. Our democracy is imperiled. Our democracy begs you to vote. We're gonna be back right after these messages with Nan Parati and today's interesting thing.
3: This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP.
5: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Following the death of a cannabis worker in Holyoke in January, the city is looking at ways to prevent something like this from happening again. The Holyoke Ordinance Committee met last night to discuss more regulations. Councilor Linda Vacant spoke with Western Mass News. I immediately
4: filed an order to try to be sure that if there's any way that we can coordinate and collaborate with the Cannabis Commission locally, that we would be able to participate in preventing anything like this from happening again.
5: 27-year-old Lorna McMurray collapsed while working in the True Leave facility on January 7th. Officials alleged she died due to her inability to breathe after inhaling cannabis dust. Debate over how to best protect students from catching coronavirus continues in Northampton. Northampton parent Joe Pater thinks the school committee voting to adopt the state guidelines is too lax.
3: Our school committee and our public health people don't have the ability to impose a mask requirement if the hospitals
2: fill up, if teachers are out.
5: The CDC and American Association of Pediatrics both recommend universal masking in schools when COVID rates are high, as school committee member Mike Stein explains.
2: The state has delegated these decision-making powers to local control, which in this case is the school committee.
5: Pater and Stein both say the school committee tasked with drafting these rules needs more information. Expansion on the Tilton Library in Deerfield is moving forward. Residents approved the additional funds needed during a special town meeting on Monday. The next step is a special election for a debt exclusion vote in early December.
2: Showers and drizzle continue this afternoon, a high of 64 to 68. Scattered evening
3: shower is possible, then clearing overnight, a low of 50 to 56. Mostly sunny and breezy tomorrow, 64 to 68. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5
2: WHMP.
4: Bring your garden indoors with Winesick Nursery in Hadley. Create an indoor farm with herbs, annuals, and porch plants in a sunny window or under a grow light when temps dip to 50 degrees. WineSick has colorful pottery pots, potting soil, watering cans, misters, plant foods, and starter supplies. Plus a beautiful selection of indoor plants and exotic plants to add to your indoor farm. Winesick Nursery on Route 9 in Hadley and at winesicknursery.com. We are the growers. Come to the source. An ensemble of women, BIPOC, femme, dedicated to the transformative power of dance and social justice. The UMass Fine Arts Center presents the Ananya Dance Theater in Dostock, I Wish You Me. Dostock, I Wish You Me explores the cross-generational love that carries global communities through difficult migrations, reimagining the possibilities of freedom. Led by acclaimed dancer choreographer and educator Ananya Chatterjee, the Ananya Dance Theatre is a dynamic ensemble. The Chicago Tribune says, more than most contemporary Indian dance choreographers, Chatterjia has completely transformed her genre. Get tickets at the UMass Fine Arts Center website, the Ananya Dance Theatre. I Wish You Me, Thursday, November 3rd, 7.30 p.m., Valker Auditorium at UMass.
3: At American National, we understand the tried and true farm and ranch lifestyle, and what's important to you is important to us. You deserve an insurance plan custom-made to meet all the specific needs of your agribusiness operation. American National offers flexible farm and ranch policies with package options to help better protect your livelihood. We're right by your side. For more information and to connect with a local American National agent, just visit AmericanNational.com. American National Property and Casualty Company and Affiliates. Springfield, Missouri.